0: Mahfuz hai Zawana Andere mein Se Roshan Buddha was one of the best influences we ever had. You're not born as an extrovert, you become an extrovert. People are getting disillusioned by the law of attraction. He chose Sarnath to broadcast because we didn't have internet then. What is your question?
1: Namaste and welcome to The Ordinary Indian. A show for, off, and by the ordinary Indian. I'm your host Ish, a commoner striving for something out of the ordinary, just like you. While we all love our celebrities and their wake up at 4am and read one book a day lifestyles, I have always been intrigued by the people I walk past every day, who still have gone on to achieve extraordinary things. If the common person intrigues you too, and if you think there is something you might have to learn from them, listen on.
0: I'm just excited. This is your first podcast. I'm loving it. Happy to be your first guest over here. And thank you for the magnificent coffee here. Well, I'm glad to have you. Thank you for making time.
1: I'm going to try and give a summary of who author Shuklaji is in my understanding. And let's then try and fill in the gaps. Shuklaji, you were born in India. Yes. spent most of your life in India in Mumbai. Yes. Like many of us, studied engineering and then were working in one of the well-known engineering related companies in India. And then you decided that, you know what, I want to go out and do a master's. Yes. Through that, you were able to get a good gig in a bank Mm -hmm. based in one of the best cities in the world.
0: It is totally the best city in the world. That is agreed upon.
1: And then sometime last year, you kind of vanished Mm -hmm. and we didn't know what was going on. And then you came back like Moses did Mm. with a book that you had written and published. And then you did that again early this year Mm. and you came back with a second book. Mm -hmm. So first of all, that's pretty commendable. You have published two books within a year. Thank you. That's you to me, also a good friend. When the pandemic hit, Mm. we got a lot close because of that. We were both living in the same neighborhood and we would go out on these long walks and that brought us closer
0: yeah would you like to add something to that high level summary and then we can always dig in later no I would, I would, I'd like thank you so much for this summary and uh, it sort of takes me back to the memory lane of how we started and where we are we both have used the lockdown so productively yeah but my heart goes out to those had their. Uh, you know, commitments questioned because of situations or personal circumstances and they've come out of that stronger. So they are the real heroes. And I've got, fortunately, through my books, a chance to sort of experience those conversations and truly we are blessed to be here. The other thing I would add is that writing books comes a lot uh, from personal experiences because it's an art of storytelling. And these personal experiences are always inspired by the long walk conversations we had so the time we spent together that was obviously a part of of these uh, stories somehow and the discussions we had in depth and i think that is where such friendships come into play and thank you to the lockdown that this intimacy happened both my books actually launched in the same year my first book came out in january but obviously the publishing contract was signed in december last year and the second book came out in may and the best part about this is that The whole structures of the stories I told in both the books had been decided four years ago. And that is why it made it easier for me to publish these books in the same year. And I think that is where we sort of have to understand that the journey, the time that a journey takes is longer than the final result, which comes out where people mostly focus on. And fortunately, we got the lockdown situation as sort of an advantage to push that forward.
1: So when was the first book you ever wrote?
0: For me, in my personal draft, I think I wrote it when I was literally uh, in 10th standard. I made pretty earlier than that because I used to write comics on my own. I used to write articles, blogs. If you remember the first Google site, blogger.com. Mm-hmm, yep. So I, I actually created my own student sort of an account over there with a very weird photo edited on my MS Paint or something. I think writing was always there with me since my childhood. It was sort of an escape for me. I started writing poems before that pretty much... I would say in 2nd Standard, 3rd Standard. So my first book came for me in 10th Standard. That is when I compiled everything together to make one story. So just for people who don't understand the Indian education system, 10th
1: Standard puts you at somewhere around the age of 15. Truly. And 2nd Standard puts you at the age of somewhere around 7. So you'd started writing probably at the age of 4 or 5
0: then. 4 or 5, I would say, is when I was very intrigued by storytelling. Mm -hmm. And that was the time when I was drawing pictures more than writing. So that that is why I was more intrigued with comics. And you had, if you remember, the train journeys and the car rides in the 90s in India. Mm-hmm. It was all about Amar Chitra Katha. It was all about Tinkle. Uh, you know, we got our mythology from there. We got our stories from there. We got our favorite characters from there. Because Marvel and DC were still not penetrating the Indian market then. And those were our superheroes. And that, that sort of inspired me a lot. So the 90s, the nostalgia of these comics books still remain.
1: Are you ever thinking of
0: publishing the draft that you wrote in your 10th standard? I I am and it is, uh, it it, it sort of inspired the draft, the characters that I had written then sort of inspired the characters for my current book, uh, Gamble of Love. Uh, Interestingly, one of the characters I would say is uh, completely copied from the guy who was 15 years old and who had written it in his personal folder. And it was handwritten, surprisingly, because uh, I was I was not having my own personal laptop as such. Mm-hmm. So I had to borrow it from my dad. So I used to handwrite first and then draft it in my father's laptop. You would understand that to have those notes compiled somewhere was so difficult that it remained in my memory. So when I was writing that character in this book, that 10th standard or the 15-year-old guy was sort of narrating that story for me. Did you use a pen name then? No, actually, I used my uh, real name uh, because I was not under any binding contracts then. And I never had a thought about pen names because you never thought about brands, you never thought about hooks, you never thought about clickbaity stuff. Now, the only reason I have a sort of a pen name is one, because I have employment contracts and two, because you want to make it interesting. Mm.
1: You said you had a productive lockdown. Mm-hmm. do you say... Wanting to write these books and publish them came from you trying to make sure you had a productive lockdown?
0: I think it was a push, as you remember, because you were there. We were very far away from our family. There was uh, no way of having a personal contact sort of stuff with anyone. And as I told you, writing has always been an escape. It was the first time when I realized that I now have the opportunity, both in terms of money and time, to actually get a book out. And that is when the idea triggered, uh, which led to the first book to be written pretty much in two months. And it was literally a hundred page book, a self-help sort of stuff. And that is where I understood whole idea around the business of publishing took me a lot of time to get my head around as to how do I proceed? It was the A's of time in lockdown that really helped me make those decisions compared to if the lockdown did not happen and I was going through my normal work routine, the chances of me researching about publishing industry, making my network would have been slim. So yes, I would say it was productive, but it was productive for a reason because this always remained. with
1: me. Have you seen that movie, Tamasha?
0: Yes. What are your thoughts on that? I only asked because you said you were always very interested in storytelling as a child. Exactly. And I think that is where Tamasha sort of hit the nail. And it was Imtiazili all altogether because... Here's a man who's coming to the biggest platform that is available in India for filmmaking. He comes with an exceptional idea of storytelling where the camera is just focusing on the hero's journey of one character through different dramatized situations that were scripted with a beginning, a middle and an end in every scene. And it's a very difficult writing process because you have to understand he's written stories within stories. We may compliment Christopher Nolan for Inception and all that because they are complex storytellings, but you have to also appreciate people who have multilinear narratives and narratives that encompasses multiple stories in one big narrative. And that's where Imtiaz Ali has always excelled. And I think every director has his own learning process. What you see in Tamasha is more raw emotions compared to Rockstar. The only reason being that Rockstar was completely focused on one central character, while Tamasha was focused on two central characters, both from a male and female perspective, bringing a balance of emotions, which was not seen in Rockstar. Uh, the reason people didn't like Nargis Fakhri is not because she's, she was a new actor or a debutant actor, it was just because her character was underplayed compared to what Ranbir Kapoor was shown in a very high stage. What you see in Tamasha is that Dipika Padukone was actually balanced with Ranveer and there was this good energy balance that he tried to show through cinematography. Especially the scenes where you see a lot of CRB coloring where he's trying to show emotions through color. People would remember it from the song Agar Tum Saath Ho. And if you see the whole emotional scene around it, it's all about the camera of movement, two camera movements, two characters, top view, left view, right view. You sort of get that 360 experiences through the color, and you're just in the flow with the song, and that's 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 kudos to the director. It's like he left the whole shebang of dramatization and just focused on the raw reality of that scene, making it relatable. And if you don't believe me, watch Tamasha and then go watch Pyar Ka and you you would see the difference in volume. My next question
1: is going to be: What was the hook for you, if anything, for Tamasha. And that scene was the hook for me. Yeah. I Yeah Potentially, in the last five to ten years, I've seen maybe a couple of movies. Mm-hmm. And I really like the song, Agar Sato Saath Ho, even yep. without ha- having ever seen the movie. But... Due to a missed
0: search on YouTube, I ended up watching that scene. Mm-hmm. And that's what actually pulled me in. I would totally agree over that because I think what Imtiaz really did well was he uses music to his advantage. If you take all his movies, let's just give me just a minute to deviate from it. So if you take Rockstar, Tamasha, Highway, you know, top three movies of Imtia Dali, and Obviously, Javi Met was there, but these, these three are those movies that I really want to focus on. Every scene that you relate to, has a music attached to it and that music reminds you of that scene. The second thing is these musics are the top-selling musics of those movies. Agar Tum Saath Ho was widely appreciated. Obviously, Tamasha has a lot of good songs but this was always a hook for people because they related to it. And I think that is where Impiazali plays story well. The hook is the relatability and the relatability is not about showing college romance or the relatability is not about showing just crushes and flings and all that stuff the relatability is showing the silence of a relationship that is what he actually nails on rockstar was his hallucinations his academy of the fame the whole instrumental song which talks about his feeling about fame the friends leaving him alone when he got famous or his sadness that comes through fame it was completely shown in silence he never uttered a dialogue and people love those songs the same goes for tamasha Same goes for Hyrule. Till the end of the movie, no one knew what Aliyabhar was suffering through. But the entire movie, people could relate to her. Irrelevant of whether someone has suffered through it. That is what I love about him. He knows how to relate in silence.
1: You used the term multilinear. Mm -hmm. Was it just Tamasha or is it most of his movies that are multilinear? What do you
0: mean by it? Yeah, I think I wrongly spoke about multilinear because the multilinear approaches is where three characters are going through journeys and they're meeting at a point. So I think Tamasha, like, I, I was thinking about Ranveer and Deepika going through two different, but I now remember that the journeys were actually not that different. I wouldn't call it multilinear, but rather I was trying to say that there were stories within the stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know how to, I don't know if there's a name for those narratives. You mean the narrative is like nested within it, Nested, yeah. It's Sorry. something very nested. And I think that is where Tamasha excels, right? It, it is not only, it's, it's just throwing stories at you and you love it because... We we crave for stories, and especially uh, what people uh, like. If, if people must have noticed this, Piyush Mishra was just there to narrate a story. Mm, yeah. Like the whole character was just there to narrate a story. He was he was the natak. He was the Nataki. He was there. He was a stage manager for. Him. He had no role in the movie. He he was nothing to the story, but he was everything to the story because he was narrating the story. And that is why we love. Him. And I think that is how Imtiaz played. You know, he gave every character. A story to play, and that is, I think, and I would assume that he started with the stage.
1: That's a that's a turning point, really, right? When he goes to him and says, "What
0: happens in the story?" and he's like, "Why are you asking me? It's your story." Exactly. then exactly. We all have a tendency to do that. And I think, and I think this is where I'll deviate. Like the reason Anurag Kashyap's Burfi sort of became relatable is is the image of Ranbir Kapoor, which was completely transformed that no one had seen before. But the reason then Jagga Jasu sort of did not have that hook because here's Imtiaz Ali using Ranbir in different stories, using his silences, using his character to be described to the character he writes. Here's Anurag Basu completely throwing Ranbir in new characters, but then not matching the narrative of the story to that character. So Jagga Jasu somewhere failed. Because what Bollywood has to understand is the audience is not craving for international locations or Hollywood-level stories or thrillers. Bollywood audience is really craving for is an Indian narrative on such inspirations. Jagga Jasu wanted to sort of create that travel log sort of a stuff, but it couldn't. And I think that's where you will see when you watch, watch Tamasha, what Tamasha takes is also in a journey. But it is a journey of a story. And I think that is why Tamasha also, there are, you know, mixed opinions about Tamasha because there are people who find it boring and there is a huge amount of people who love it after the second watch or a third watch. Maybe it's not a theater movie. Jagga Jasu's could be a theater movie. I think that is where I will talk about Tamasha where they love the movie in the second viewing or the third viewing. Are you thinking of transitioning back to more pictorial representations than just sticking with writing? I'm not a good artist at all. I can't <laughs> I can't draw. When you're a child, you you feel that you can draw. But as I grew up, I knew I'm not a good artist. But yeah, I have a story that I, I'll, I would love it to be an animated story. Obviously, my dream is that it could lead to a Pixar-level story someday. But it would be some great illustrator or animator who would help transform that into a more pictorial. So you're looking to collaborate with someone on that? Yes. yes well, yes. if
1: you happen to be a great illustrator or animator mm-hmm. and you would like to collaborate with Shuklaji, mm-hmm. reach out to him. Where can people reach out to you? Authorshuklaji.com Are you on Instagram, Twitter? Yes, Authorshuklaji.
0: Everywhere. How do you spell that for people who are probably not from India? I would assume everybody knows the spelling of author, but Shuklaji is S-H-U-K-L-A-J-I. You mentioned
1: balance of emotions. Mm -hmm. Do you think you need a good male and
0: good female character to bring that balance of emotions into your stories and movies? Not necessarily. You don't need a male and female to show it because one thing about this is where the whole idea of Ying and Yang, Shiva and Kali and all that comes into play, right? It's that every male comes with a feminine side and every female comes with a masculine side. So the single character has those emotions already. It's just that when you want to show it on a screen, you want to really show it as a male and female. Only then would that message go across. But obviously, you can also show it within two friends. I don't know if people have enjoyed it, but I enjoyed Badrinath Ki Dulania and Hamdi Sharma Ki Dulania only because, one, it's a feel-good movie. You don't get into a mindset of common sense, comments over it. But if you see that movie, everything about Varun Dhawan comes out of his friend, not from Alia Bhatt. He's chasing Alia but his emotions come out through his friend and that's also a good balance that's a male and female balance over there and his friend is a male and he has two friends and both of them show his darker side he is shown as a guy who's chasing alia who's trying to be that good guy and here are two friends who are ready to do every bad thing they can do to help him reach that goal you know maybe destroy the marriage that was fixed with the other character or try to bring out opportunities where they can, you know, meet meet with each other. That is where I think Tarantino sort of plays really well. Because all his scripting is a novel. If you see Tarantino's scenes, they're all ping-pong dialogues of different characters. And not necessarily between a male and female. There's always this good, bad, you know, dark and bright, positive, negative. So it comes through ping-pong of dialogue.
1: I want to go back to the personal experiences. What would you say have
0: been formative personal experiences that have made you who you are today? This is very interesting. Like the first thing, if if I have to just speak about what made me an author, is that very early on, I found a diary in which my father used to write stories and poems that sort of confirmed that I have the genes for it. My mom is a writer, so our family was always about writing, discussing, debating, storytelling. Obviously, they didn't get that platform or that time or money to publish books or go out and present their ideas and I think that's that's one of the biggest events that pushed me in this direction of writing. The other events about in regards to the totality of my personality right now would be obviously traveling through different cities in southern India only because my father kept changing jobs and therefore I always made new friends and I was also in a boarding school when I was in seventh standard and overall what you'd see is that Pretty early on in my life, I got to sort of experience different sort of personalities that helped me become extrovert, I would say. You're not born as an extrovert. You become an extrovert through the situations you're put in. That's something that really helped me. My public speaking, storytelling, ideas comes from these two big experiences. And then obviously the professional stuff comes from college education. And I'm being sarcastic here that I had uh, taken. Plus, obviously, the people that I met along the way who mentored me.
1: When you say your mom and dad were very much into writing, what kind of writing is that? And is that something that you would want to eventually put out there in the world? So I
0: think uh, my dad was pretty much into poems. So he was a very poetic sort of guy. And I think uh, when he used to write and listen to guzzles, that is when I got interested with So Mm -hmm. I I was a Jagjit Singh fan pretty early on. I never understood his words, but I (laughs) loved him singing. That's where my father comes into play. My mom uh is a journalist so she used to write a lot of op-ed columns she's a hindi journalist so she used to write hindi columns for the ngos uh, she used to work and for the social causes you have to have that kind of skin and that kind of equity in such games to understand and write at that level i don't have those skills or those experiences that which my mom wrote those articles and therefore i don't think so i'll be going in that direction But I know pretty much that I'll be going in the direction of writing poems or guzzles, which I've also written in my current book with the art of storytelling that comes from both of them, because both of them explain their points through storytelling. Are your books available as audiobooks? not right now Uh, they are not available as audiobooks one I have to book a studio and actually record it Mm. and two I just need to figure out some time and logistics of it I think I should publish an audiobook soon
1: would you want to
0: voice your own books or are you thinking of getting Morgan Freeman or something (laughs) I would love to have Morgan Freeman and David Attenborough narrate my book but I know they are not free or not in my budget as well maybe hopefully someday I would love if there are like voice actors who would who actually do the freelancing stuff who could help me out if it does not work out i would love to voice it i i have a good voice by the way um so <laughs> i'll try to do it but the the experience of an audiobook comes from multiple voices
1: again and if you're a voice actor who really enjoyed shuklaji's books and wants to
0: collaborate with them go to author com. message me and i'll try to fix you up somewhere that's <laughs> that's s-h-u-k-l-a-j-i would you want to do a Javed Akhtar, Farhan Akhtar style voicing your dad's poems? Jab jab. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, no, uh, like my dad himself has a very bold voice, so I, I would love to record him saying his own ghazals. Actually, he would love to do the share in shairi and create that mehfil. But I would also love to do it, and uh, just just for the people, uh, just a teaser into my current book. The book starts with a ghazal, and the ghazal is mehfuz hai and deere mein. And what I want you guys to do now is write your meaning about it. What do you understand from it in the comment section. And I would personally vet it. Don't worry. That's a light of the comment section. Is he still writing poems these days? I think so. He would not tell me about it. Uh, But I think so. He must be writing. And I think it's more convenient to write stuff now. So he has his own laptop and all that stuff. But those were the times when you used to write it in a diary and it would fall in anybody's hand, especially when you have a child running around uh, like me and I was very naughty because I was mostly searching for money and I used, I found his diary over there. So, you know, I think now he'll, he'll be more personal about it, more secretive about it. But I think if I push him a little, he would open up.
1: What would you want
0: everyone listening to know about your first book? The first book is actually a self-help book. It's a conversation between a guy and Buddha and he's uh, he's actually hallucinating a buddha and this is not the buddha the god buddha but buddha as in the spiritual sense a person who's in the path of enlightenment or who's enlightened uh, pretty much free uh, of the Uh, shackles of the world and the conversation tries to juxtapose between Advaita Vedanta and the school of thoughts behind Buddhism because there's this huge debate around the understanding of Brahman and Atman and the understanding of individual self versus the universal consciousness then there are huge debates in various self-help books and self-help podcasts around the law of attraction the secret and all that stuff and I wanted to bring people a more easier understanding I would say of these school of thoughts where this conversation is of a person who's close to his midlife sort of a crisis or something like that you would say but he's growing into this adult world and he wants to learn about spirituality but is just confused with a lot of self-help content so this sort of brings out those questions that we have in our mind bring out answers from these school of thoughts so it juxtaposes them it does not give you a direct solution But it helps you make your opinion about ego, about emotions, about mood, about individuality versus the universal consciousness. And from there, if you come to a realization that pretty much your everyday life is just an observation and not a judgment, is when you realize that the title of the book gets justified, which is House of Mirrors. The book's name is Buddha's House of Mirrors, where there's a central character, which is Who's sort of imagining himself sitting in a house of mirror and watching his different individual personalities as a child, as an employee, as as a colleague, as a friend. Only to realise that what matters is the person in the center who's observing. So that's that's pretty much about the first book. It's available on Amazon, and then you can also go to authorshuklaji.com. That's S H U K L A J I. What's the debate around the secret? The debate, uh, like, I think it's not a debate, it's more about acceptance. The secret talks about law of attraction where you sort of have this vision board where you talk about, you know, having affirmations and you say, I want to be a billionaire. I am a billionaire and I am this, I am that. And therefore, the universe will fulfill for you. Now, that's good. And it's a good way of positive thinking because even psychology and all that, if you actually read about it, it's all about positive affirmations. It's all about positive thought and all that stuff. What people have to understand this is more about opinion rather than cause and effect. It's not about that. If you say I'm a billionaire, you would become the next Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. It's more about this is an opinion that if you talk like this, it will help you build a mindset like that. And then whatever actions you take can help you move forward. And one thing I noticed about the secret, what it does right is talk about these affirmations. What is does wrong is actually show people that this is actually the cause and effect. And you can even see that in the movie. Um, And I think that's where the debate is all about, right? That people are getting disillusioned uh, by the law of attraction. Law of attraction is more about mindset building rather than wealth building. And I think that is where people have to juxtapose it well. The
1: Buddha piece.
0: Yes. It's not the Buddha. Buddha is a title that is given to a person who's enlightened. Mm. uh, Who's reached the state of nirvana or something like that. So... Gautama Buddha was one of the many Buddha because he sort of initiated the whole teaching the you know the four noble truths the principles, dharma karma and all that stuff is when you know you he sort of built that follows he was I would say he was one of the best influences we ever had (laughs) and even if you read Buddhism now you find it very practical and I think that is why his messages what got broadcasted so fast because it was the truth it was rational and it was straightforward. If Buddha was uh, alive today, he would have never accepted the title as a god. He he was a king who found the right path and wanted to teach people. He chose one of the best places called Sarnath to communicate his words. Sarnath in and around 330 BC was the intersection of Dakshinapatha and Uttarapatha, which were the trade routes in India throughout Afghanistan, present day Afghanistan, Pakistan. So it was the intersection where a lot of merchants and traders came in. And those were the eras that if you pass your message in Sarnath, then pretty much it gets broadcasted everywhere. And that is why Buddha chose to lay out his message over there. So it was a very rational thing to do. Uh, It's not that Sarnath was a religious place, but it was more of a commercial place that people would go to, to relay messages to be broadcasted because we didn't have internet then. Have you read Siddhartha by Harman S.? I read the abridged version of it because I was researching it for Mm. my book. I didn't read the whole book. I would love to read it though. It's Uh, a small book. It is a small book. Like the abridged abridged version was literally two pages. uh,
1: (laughs) Wow, that's really abridged. The first quarter of it, you're confused. Thinking actually the Siddhartha being talked about is Siddhartha Gautam Bund. But it's not. That's something that breaks for the reader where you also have to try and connect that maybe there's not one person. Exactly might be buddha and everyone has that path in front of them
0: yeah i I would totally agree with that when you talk about that everyone has a path that is truly the point of buddhism buddhism never tells you that nirvana is the state you have to reach you have to always question meditation is all about introspection and what buddhism tries to say is that when you're questioning meditation you question yourself Now, here's what Krishnamurti did, right? So, Jiddu Krishnamurti was one of the philosophers pretty much in the era of black and white television, And that is when he sort of asked that when a person asked him, like, can you teach me meditation? And the question he raised is, why do you want to do meditation? And I think that is how Buddhism talks about it. If you're saying, I want to reach the state of Nirvana, the question you should ask is, why do you want to go for Nirvana? If there's a question as to how do I become a Buddha, the question is, why do you want to become a Buddha? And when you have, when you have asked that question, It sort of brings a lot of context to it. And that is where you have to understand that Siddhartha or the king or the prince who was to be the king, when he saw the world outside, he had a purpose. He never went out with the purpose of achieving a state of nirvana or achieving the Buddha title. All he wanted to know is how do we end suffering? He had a question and he was finding an answer to that. The reason... Krishnamurti or Buddhism is asking you to question why you want to reach Nirvana, is to put your focus on the real question that you want answered to. He wanted to end suffering. What is your question? If you are saying your question is to go and build a space colony, then that is your path of Buddhism. And that is where you should focus your energies into. Not sitting and meditating for one hour every day just to reach that Nirvana state so that you will feel happiness. That's your path. The space exploration is your path and that's the path where you would become the Buddha of space exploration. Let's take a break here. It's a big
1: day. Hey, I'm sure you're enjoying it so far. I really, really wanted to thank you for listening in and would appreciate if you could share this with one of your ordinary friends. Also, if you would so like, you can follow me on Instagram at is underscore that underscore ish. Now, back to the podcast. Boarding school,
0: what was that like? I would say it was difficult initially because it was a boarding school in Chennai, Tamil Nadu. For people who don't know, Tamil Nadu is a southern state in India. So the language spoken there is Tamil. And I come from a North Indian sort of a family, so we spoke in Hindi. So language was a barrier there. It was a very new culture for me. I was new to that place. A lot of people over there, though it was a multicultural setting, a lot of students obviously were from the southern part of India. But interestingly, they also became good friends of mine, uh, not initially maybe, because I was very young and, you know, when you're, when you're young, you're mostly fighting first and those actually become your best friends later on. The experience over there, I would say, initially was tough. When, when you are very young and you're feeling lonely in a place, it gets very scary because you're so dependent on your parents for everything. But over a period of time, I did adjust to that environment because I think everyone was on the same boat, ended up making... Good friends for life. How long were you in Chennai? I would say seven years. Four years I was there for my engineering and then two three years that I'm counting is from obviously boarding as well as the daytime school that I did over there. That's a significant part of your life. Do you know Tamil? I understand a little bit. I used to actually learn speaking it a little when I was there but I don't remember it anymore but I used to understand it then. What do you think about Chennai girls? I don't know if guys have noticed South Indian beauty is a beauty on its own. Chennai girls were beautiful as well. We had girls from Kerala, we had girls from Andhra and all that. And they were beautiful in their own respect. And just to mention it as a tidbit, a lot of Bollywood actresses that our previous generation admired and what we admire now come from Southern India. What really attracts people about South Indian girls is not, not just about the beauty, but the intellect they come with. I want not push more on that topic.
1: <laughs> you said nobody is born an extrovert. We can learn to become it. That's one of the things I've admired the most about you. Your ability to walk up to anyone and have a conversation with them. When did you start building that and was it intentional or
0: did it just happen? learning to speak in public and connecting with people was something that i intentionally worked on and it this happened pretty early on because this was something i learned from my grandfather who's uh, by the way a national award winner and he was a very strong networker he he had a huge social circle even though he was economically backward that surprised me because he could walk into a powerful man's office like a politician or someone just sit there as an equal and i think that is when i learned how important it is to get out of your own way, pretty much. I think that is all about being an extrovert or being a good networker is that we personally put ourselves in a spotlight before even going and asking up to someone. The art of actually talking to people is first to get ourselves out of that fear because it's all a trial and error. You'll get rejected more than you'll get accepted and that's with everything in life. Mm, yeah. And that is how I think you start building it up. And I think this whole concept around extrovert and introvert said in a social setting. When you talk about parties and dances and drinks, that's when people actually debate about being an introvert and extrovert. But it actually derives a lot from your personal and professional life. People who say that tech guys are very introverted compared to, you know, artistic people who are very extroverted. It's not true. There are tech guys who who are much better at public speaking than, you know, the extroverts you have met in your life. And there are artists who are very introvert and reserved about their art compared to the extroverts that you meet.
1: I think it's very contextual and situational also. Exactly. exactly. Same person, you put them in different situations, they act very differently. Exactly. You do have to get over that fear of rejection. When we are children, we are told not to go talk to strangers or beware of them. We have to unlearn some of these things that are drilled into us.
0: No, I, I would totally agree. And I think that fear of strangers would always be there with us right if, if you dark in a room and some random individual walks through it you'll be scared irrelevant of whether you know them or not so let me just illustrate it i want to learn to drive but i can't drive and the reason i never learned driving is for as i said before that i've Travel to different cities, so I was never in one city. Whatever city I went to, my dad never let me take those driving classes or anything because it's a new city, it's a new environment, so he was scared for his son and he did not want any harm for me to come. I was young and I wanted to drive a car and just hang around with my friends and he didn't want, want me to do that. So I, I never learned driving before that. I went to boarding school and that's when I first handled a bike on my own because one of my very extroverted friends put me on a bike and just told me to ride it and I fell three times. But then I learned to ride a bike, which still remains Wait, that's a bicycle or a motorbike? A motorbike. And after that, once I came back from the boarding school, we again changed places. Like we were in Chennai, but uh, we were shifting a lot within the city itself. And then we moved to Mumbai and obviously things never crystallized for me. Once we moved to Mumbai and even when my driver offered me to take me on a ride so that I can learn driving, my father never allowed it. And I think this comes from the fear because he's he sort of met with a lot of accidents, but he's a very good driver. But now when he tells me that, you know, you should go get a license and learn driving is when I tell him, why didn't you do it before? Because that fear is there in me. And I think that's that's how you grow up, right? There's no fault that you put up into society or the people that are close to you that restrict you on something. It's also your individual decision and your individual common sense that comes into play and i think that is where it comes about what is like is driving advantages for me right now i i'm not going to have a car at least for the few years so like i learn and love driving just for the sake of it because you get to go on long rides but there's no necessity yet if i have to now extend this to public speaking and the fear of talking to strangers wherever you are in your life right now as a student or as a professional you would have already realized that making friends or having connections or doing networking is the key part of your success and it's a necessity and therefore you have to make an effort you have to sit in the steering wheel have the right people around you to teach you and then you have to make few accidents that is few rejections and then you learn it. And then finally, you would sort of find that you can actually sail through it and go for long rides. That is, have more networking. And then you can go to big people. And then you can, you know, push your ideas. And all that. So I think that is how you sort of overcome such fears. And I promise you guys that I would actually learn driving. So don't worry about
1: that. And you're the driver of your life,
0: captain of my soul. Indeed. We don't really need a car much here in London. To your point, I have to just add that, If you see in India, and even US, the culture of driving comes from the necessity of it because yeah. the public infrastructure is not that supportive. But in Europe, and I've done my masters in you know Germany, and I've now come to UK, the the public transport is very solid and it's well connected. So you don't feel the necessity to drive. You only want to learn it so that you can enjoy it, or you know make it more easier when you have a family or something like that. So the necessity of driving over here is very low in Europe. So you you end up delaying that process anyway. You mentioned National Award winner. My grandfather, yes. yes. Uh, you must have heard National awards for films when yeah. you know, Ajay Devgan and Rajkumar Rao have won it. But mm-hmm. my grandfather won it for teaching. Uh, he was recognized by Shankar Deyal Sharma who was the president of India in around 95 or 96. Something around that time. And he got the National Award from him. I was there. I was very young. And that was actually my one and only trip to Delhi. And I was I don't even remember it though. But he, he still tells me that I was there in the theater. And I call it theatre only because I thought it was a theatre. And when no one came on the stage, I actually shouted from the audience saying that, picture Kapshuru And this is a true story. I'm not even making this up. <laughs> That's unusual, right? You don't usually get national awards for teaching? No, you do. You do. Yeah. Uh, so Indian government actually recognizes uh, teachers who've done exemplary job imparting education for backward classes, uh, for social causes and all that. So my grandfather used to be the principal of Government school, and during those times, government schools were still sort of catching up. They were not scaled enough to do an exemplary job in a government school. Was tougher. It still is because people have to get the right funding, get the right skills to impart it to the children who come from a more tier three rural background compared to what we uh, have been exposed to, and that is the tier one, tier two urbanized education system that we are part of. When you actually go to the grassroots level, you see that the teachers and principals have to really make a strong effort to make sure that the logistics and the medium uh, through which transferable skills are put forward are right. My grandfather was recognized for his contribution in that direction.
1: How frequently in your
0: early years would you end up moving cities? A lot. And I would say it's it's not just cities, but within cities we also moved a lot because my father, whenever he got promoted or his job changed, he had to move to a new sort of a place and all that stuff. What was surprising was it was mostly... In southern India, uh, I never moved to north. Even though I was born in Varanasi, but there are very few places in north that I've frequented. And that is why I've never explored much of northern India. If you could go back and change that, would you? I would love to actually because coming from a northern root sort of a family where my genetic tree goes back to Uttar Pradesh and all that stuff, I would love to explore those states more at a grassroots level, try to understand my own culture because I'm uh, you know sucker for history, for human evolution and all that stuff. And therefore, I would like to learn my own evolution. What about
1: friendships do you think you end up having many short friendships rather than few long
0: ones i yeah i would say yes i made my close friends only when i entered college and uh, that was when you're fixed in a four-year schedule you can't mm-hmm. before that yes i would say i never I never had best friends i would say and i grew up with this mindset of never <laughs> never uh being stuck with the best friend because it would only make you emotional at the end so i had friends but I think I was never unlucky, and I, I ended up meeting people who were good to me, who were supportive to me. Obviously, you had your fights and all that stuff, but that was okay because you're you're anyways a child. So, you so you're just trying to set boundaries with people through fights. Yes. <laughs>
1: Do you think that made you an extrovert?
0: Totally. And I would totally agree to the fact that I became an extrovert only because I moved around a lot. I think one of the reasons I also became extrovert is very early on, I was thrown into situations where I did not have a clue about the language or the culture. And therefore, I had to prepare, you know, not just the content that i want to speak about but also the interpersonal skills so that they understand i totally agree english was the medium of communication but you have to understand that when you are speaking to someone from a different culture altogether and within india you'll be surprised to know that there are different cultures which are very distinguishable from one another it was not an easy ride and i think that's where you get exposed to those skills which can make you an extrovert
1: but you say the constant moving around also led you to find a home in writing
0: writing came naturally to me but constant moving gave me different experiences that i could use for my story that is definitely part of it what happens with constant moving uh, is that you get to see different settings you know different environments and you can always use them some way into a storytelling because one thing about storytelling it's not just about the characters the environment you put them into that's one thing about comics, right? You don't need necessarily a language to exactly. communicate what's
1: exactly. going on. Yes,
0: pictures speak louder than words. Have you always used the same language for your writing? No, so, I've always changed it. If I have to just compare between my two books that are published, my first book is very self-help sort of a thing, but I still made it a storytelling through the use of poetic dialogues but if you read my second book the character descriptions and the character dialogues are very introspective and there are a lot of poems uh, that I've used just to express a character's emotions and what that really helped me with is that instead of writing six pages about how a character feels I only ended up writing four lines in a poem just to explain the same thing. I didn't want to bore my readers and therefore the second book actually uses a lot of these poetic narratives around character emotions. Could you see yourself having a career as a stand-up comedian? I would love to, but I know it is not possible. <laughs> really? the only reason because I think it's a very tough job. Uh, but I think I can give it a try because I did give it a try through an open mic in Bangalore, one. But I think... Can people find that on authorsuklazy.com? No, they, they can't. There's no video <laughs> on it. Fortunately, there's no video on it. Uh, it sucked. Uh, but no, no. I'm just being uh, funny over here. I would love to do a stand-up comedy. And the reason I wanted to do stand-up comedy is that there's a lot of complex ideas that you can just take liberty on to make fun out of it, but to also convey the message you really want to convey and get the attention from the people or the listener that are listening to you. And I think when I did that open mic, one thing I, I was surprised about myself is that I could get the right laughter. Uh, even though not the whole audience was laughing, but at least one or two of my friends, best friends, were laughing. It's and a lot
1: about shared context
0: sometimes. Yeah, it's the yes. shared context, yes. And I think what what is very interesting about stand-up comedy is that it's it's also storytelling. It is having a beginning, it is having a middle, it is having an end. But the end over here is a punchline. And that is where, you know, the writer is differentiated from a writer who's a stand-up comedian. And that is where you have to be very witty and have a high sense of you. What do you come up with first? The beginning or the end? I'm more of a George R.R. R. Martin sort of a guy. I go with the flow. I never have a structure in mind. Uh, if you see my second book, a lot of my characters were inspired from my previous stories that I have personally written. But the story in itself was with the flow. It did not even start as a poker fiction. It started as a very simple mythological fiction. Then it became a young adult fiction. And then it became a young adult poker fiction, which is which fortunately became India's first poker fiction. So that's a good segue to your second book. So my se- second book is Gamble of Love, and it is India's first poker fiction. And it is a story of two teenage often prodigies who get adopted into this uh, notorious criminal network called the Messiah Circle. One, Alia, who's a prodigy in numbers, who ends up uh, playing poker, Uh, just as a way to escape from a very uh, controlling uh, stepfather. And then another is Suhana, who's a princess from Pakistan, who gives up her crown and is smuggled into Delhi, into this criminal network. Both of them now find themselves in a situation where they are conflicted with their desire to belong being orphans, they want a family. They sort of find these passion for these flawed relationships that they find along the way. And how do they overcome conflicts the criminal network puts for them? is what the story is all about. And the reason poker is sort of a very key element of it is because Alia's whole struggle, the hero's journey is sort of conveyed through the game of poker, the thrill of poker. Do you want to see it made into a movie? Oh, definitely. I would love to see it on a screen. Every writer dreams of being in And I'm just being honest and transparent about it. Every writer dreams that his story gets more audiences and obviously the visual medium is the best way. Uh, to reach uh, everyone. Who do you see playing Alia and Suhana? I would love Alia to be played by Alia Bhatt. Even though the character is 17, uh, 18 years old in the book, but Alia Bhatt can pull it off. And I think Suhana is an 18-year-old character, so I don't know who are the young actresses right now would come in that, but I think the closest I would see is Radhika Madan uh, playing it because she did a good job in Hindi medium with Irfan Khan. So well, uh, Alia, Radhika, if you're listening to this, <laughs> please. please go to author s-h-u-k-l-a-j-i authorshuklaji.com and you can mail me and I'll <laughs> who are your favorite authors? it's actually a bunch of them because I'm a very I would call myself a voracious reader it's just that I'm not a continuity reader but there are a lot of authors that I love there are a few authors that I really connect with and I think one of them uh, would be Jhumpa Lehri. Uh she's very famous for the book The Namesake she's one of those writers that can actually write the gaps I know I'm a sucker for writing of silence and writing of gaps then that is why I love Imtiaz Ali as well. Uh, Jumpa Lehri has this way of narrating beginning middle and in a very artistic sort of way and it's I don't know how she does it. The other people I, I really love one of them being Salman Rushdie. His complexity of using sentences to convey an entire environment is just mind-blowing. Like I don't know if I can aspire to be at his level because first of all I'm not a full-time author but you need, you need to have one of your books cancelled or and that's true yeah (laughs) that's a different story and it's a very interesting one (laughs) <laughs> alright so those two I'm just putting those two out for now but obviously there are, there are many authors that are and people have to understand is that authors are not just people who write books you know you have to also consider people who write screenplays who write TV series who write movies because they are all storytellers and they those are authors so if you if you want to put me in that situation I can give you names because here's the thing Quentin Tarantino actually writes novels when he makes those movies. Inglorious Bastards was a novel and that is how the scripting goes if you see Inglorious Bastards uh, the script the first page is Inglorious Bastards by Quentin Tarantino in his handwriting. Well, Jumpa and Salman, if you're listening to this, you know where to go. That brings us to
1: the end of it.
0: Yes! Well, this was an interesting conversation. Thank you so much. By the way, guys, it was interesting to share ideas over here, but I would love to uh, know more about what you think. Um, yeah. So, please, go to author, Shuklaji, S-H-U-K-L-A-G-I, investor. If there's more you would want to hear from
1: Shuklaji, if there are questions you have for him, I would be happy to have him again on here. Please, leave your questions in comments.
0: Thank you, that's it for today. Goodbye.
1: Well, I definitely learned a lot today from Buddhism to becoming an extrovert. This ordinary Indian, author Shuklaji, surely is an interesting guy, isn't he? Don't forget to check out his books. I would like to thank you again for listening in. If you don't want to miss the next episode, don't forget to subscribe. Now it's time to say bye. For now, I'm not worried because I know, हम हैं listeners podcast के to Bye now. Bye. Seriously, like stop it.